name's Travis Sims, and I am the founder and CEO of AGC Accelerated Global Connections. And this is the AGC Experience. Our lives are a series of choices. Each choice leads to a result. Would you like to easily know which choices are the right life choices for you? If you've never met Amy Tyson, owner of Infinity Life Design, make it a priority to connect with her. Amy is a master of feng shui and batzi, which she calls destiny analysis. She assists her clients in understanding the hidden forces that are influencing their lives. A destiny reading with Amy is like reading a book all about you. She highlights which decisions will bring you to your fullest potential and which choices will lead you down a path of obstacles. If you're struggling with a challenge or you want to lift your life even higher, get connected with Amy and Infinity Life Design on facebook.com slash infinitylifedesign or subscribe to her online newsletter at infinitylifedesign.com and connect with your infinite life. This is my good friend, Charlie Williams. And it's funny because as I was getting ready to read this, I was like, man, he is, he downplayed this a lot. You're going to hear a lot about what this guy has done, but really quick, his very brief and, uh, and humble bio, Charlie Williams is the program director of Warrior Reunion Foundation. He is a Marine veteran and former police officer. He holds degrees in aviation technology and aviation maintenance and is a guest lecturer for the Military Family Research Institute at Purdue University, providing instruction on military culture and transaction difficult or transition difficulties rather to behavioral health clinicians. Please welcome to the virtual stage my good friend Charlie Williams. Charlie, the stage is yours. Hey, thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. Uh, I don't know how humble I'm being. Um, but what I want to talk about tonight is really just uh, transition, some of the difficulties that, that I faced in transitioning, um, and just kind of the stigma that can come with being a veteran uh, in this day and age. So, um, you know, as a society, especially today, we receive much of our impression on something from the media or entertainment. Um, for veterans, really since Vietnam, that goes in one of two directions. One is the unbelievable feats and heroism portrayed in, you know, Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers, Black Hawk Down. And then on the other end of the spectrum is, you know, the broken veteran film and that narrative, you know, with Deer Hunter or Thank You for Your Service and a new movie that came out called Cherry. Um, I'm not giving my reviews on, on some of these movies, uh, but there's nothing really there for the vast majority of us that are in the middle of these extremes. Just the regular veteran that, you know, rose their right hand did their time in service, got out honorably, and just want to transition back into the civilian world. My story is really not that unique for the post-9-11 veteran community. Uh, in the fall of 2001, I was going into my senior year of high school. Uh, I'd been planning on attending Purdue University, going through ROTC, um, and flying in the Marine Corps is what, is what I wanted to do. Uh, my grandfather, uh, on my dad's side, he flew B-24 bombers in the Pacific, and I spent my summers as a kid uh, going all over the country to air shows with him. And that's kind of where my love of aviation started. The events of September 11th, uh, 2001, really kind of changed that trajectory to a degree. I didn't know it yet. Um, but it did reaffirm that that was the path that I wanted to take. Uh, in the fall of 2002, I you know, was sticking with the plan. Uh, I enrolled in Purdue. Uh, and uh, plan on going into ROTC. Pretty quickly though, in that fall, as I'm watching um, 
you know, troops engaged in Afghanistan, uh, the buildup for what looked like the inevitable invasion of Iraq. I became pretty disinterested in school. Um, you know, the parties and, and things like that. Just I was having a hard time connecting at that time when, you know, I'm seeing all these incredibly important and world-changing events going on and that I wanted to be a part of. So I remember uh, being very dissatisfied in uh, January of 2003. I had planned on uh, sticking it out a little bit longer, but I had just had enough. Uh, so I went in and I met the Marine recruiter on uh, January 11th. Uh, I enlisted on January 15th, and I was at Marine Corps boot camp on January 27th uh, as an infantry option. You know, I watched shock at all the invasion of, of Iraq uh, from boot camp and uh, less than a year later found myself in Iraq as a member of the 1st Battalion, 5th Marines. So from January of 2004 uh, to January of 2007, I went on three seven-month-long deployments. Uh, I was in Fallujah in 2004, Ramadi in 2005, and uh, we spent some time in the Philippines in 2006. You know, I loved my time in the Marine Corps. I'd actually begun to think that this may just be the career path for me, and that's that's where I want to stay. Um, but in the summer of 2006, my wife and I found out we were pregnant with our first child. And uh, with that op-tempo, op as you can see, what, over, over 36 months, I was gone for at least 21 of them, and that doesn't include training. Um, I decided to uh, that op-tempo wasn't sustainable uh, for raising a family. And uh, so I decided to get out and begin our family. There are really just five points that, that I want to make sure that I highlight during this talk. There are some of the difficulties in transition for veterans, um, fighting stigma, veteran concerns, why a veteran can be a force multiplier in your organization if you use them correctly, and how you can really help to bridge this gap uh, between the veteran and civilian population. So in my opinion, the biggest reason a veteran has difficulty transitioning is the loss of the group, or for lack of a better term, their tribe. Um, you not only spend the most transformative time in your life with these people, but you do so halfway around the world and in continuous danger, where your survival depends on them and they depend on you. Uh, Sebastian Junger has a great TED talk where he talks about this. He spent time uh, with an army platoon in Afghanistan, and he really sums it up pretty well, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but the, the gist of it is that it isn't friendship, um, which you can't, you can't relate to somebody that hasn't experienced it. You know, people think of, you know, being in a platoon together, that, you know, you're just really good friends. It's not that. Um, you know, friendship is a group of people with common interests that, that like to hang out together, and that can, that can grow, and you can be really close friends, but it's different. Um, in your platoon, you have people of every race, every socioeconomic background, religion, um, and the list goes on and on. Some guys don't even like each other. But you know that they would die for you, and you would die for them. It's, it's an incredibly pure form of love that really the only other thing that I think is similar is having your own children. Um, it is that just... Like I said, you cannot like the guy. You can think that they're just terrible. You would never hang out with them outside of this situation. But at the same time, you would lay down your lives for each other, which is it's incredibly unique. Um, a good way to highlight that is 
uh, in Ramadi in 2005. Um, I was corporal of the guard. We had a, a vehicle control checkpoint um, near a bridge that on the north side of Ramadi um, that we controlled traffic coming in and out, going over the Euphrates. We also, as part of that, had a platoon of Iraqi soldiers um, that we were in charge of that would do the checking of the vehicles at the time we were trying to build up, build up their army so they'd be self-sustainable. A uh, good friend of mine, uh, our corpsman, we had been roommates uh, back before the Fallujah deployment, so it's over a year before. Um, really close, really good guy. He was a kid from Guam, and I'm a kid from Indiana. Like, there's no, there's no way that we, in, outside of these circumstances, we'd, we'd have been as close as we were. But one of my Iraqi soldiers uh, takes a shot um, when he's standing out on an exposed roadway uh, during the vehicle checkpoint. He hits the ground before I even hear the shot. So you instantly know it's a sniper. So all the Iraqi soldiers are shooting in every direction. Uh, they're not that well trained. Uh, my Marines are, are not returning fire at this time. They don't see anybody yet to do so. Uh, so I run downstairs from the command post where I'm watching all this. I grab our our quick reaction force guys. So basically all the guys that aren't on post, it's it's their time to rest. And I see Doc. He's sitting there in a in a pair of the, the Marine Corps PT shorts. If you ever seen them, they're they're you know uh, like uh, swim trunks from the 50s for guys, very short, uh, and a t-shirt. And so Doc throws his throws his flak on. All he has is his uh, his pistol. And we go around outside to try and, and do what we can to save this Iraqi soldier. Um, as we get out there, we start pick, getting more gunfire from this palm grove that's that's next door. And uh, the first thing I said when I'd gotten outside was I found the Iraqi soldier and I told him to get his guys inside because I, at that time they were causing more danger to our guys than they even were to, to the insurgents. Um, by the time Doc and I got up to the road to this Iraqi soldier that, that had been shot, we start dragging them off the road and there's nobody else out there except us. So they they uh, they heeded the order to to get out of harm's way very quickly. Um, so we're dragging them off off the road, and uh, it was at that time I realized that Doc and I both ran out there with nothing but our pistols. Uh, so, and there's a little bit of delay between my Marines getting back out there. So Doc and I get to get the Iraqi soldier off into defilade where Doc can start treating him. Um, I actually ended up using that that Iraqi soldier's AK-47. Um, to, to suppress uh, the insurgents until my Marines could, could get out there and, and fortify the position. Things calmed down. A couple other Marine platoons had, had arrived. Uh, we move inside, and uh, Doc and I are sitting on a cot inside and just kind of have that adrenaline dump, um, and you're just kind of thinking over. We're not saying a word to each other. We're just sitting there staring at a wall, and, and uh, most of us during that time used uh, chewing tobacco, and uh, my brand of choice was uh, Copenhagen, and we knew each other so well that Doc knew where I kept my Copenhagen in my in my cargo pants, and I I had blood all over my hands from the Iraqi soldier, and I, I said to a Doc, uh, "Hey man, I could really really use really use a dip." And I'll say in a word, Doc reaches in my pocket, pulls it out, gets a pinch out, puts it in my lip for me, and we just sit there just next to each other, staring at the wall, not saying a word, and it's just dead quiet. And then I said something like. Man, that was really crazy. And uh, Doc looks at me and he just goes, it was. But Chuck, don't ever ask me to do that again. 
But the funny part is he wasn't talking about running out there. He was talking about having me asking him to put a chew in my lip for me. <laughs> so that's the kind of closeness that, that you get um, to where you know what each other's thinking. Um, nothing is off limits and you would do anything for each other. So when you get out of the military and you come back to the civilian world, um, even the most well-intentioned people don't know how to treat you. Um, you receive the whole range of emotions from other people. You know, you receive sympathy or anger, sometimes jealousy. Um, you know, there is always someone, no matter how well-intentioned, that will ask you if you know somebody that was killed, if you killed anybody, or you get the, you know, I would have joined, but story. None of which, none of these things are solicited. It's just if somebody finds out you're a veteran, these are the type of questions or, or statements you're going to get from people. Um, I, after I, uh, you know, Mark mentioned that I was in law enforcement. Um, after I left that and went back to school at 33 years old, um, I'm sitting there in class and some 18 year old kid, I never had had a conversation with him outside of something, you know, specific, you know, class related. Um, we're sitting there waiting for the professor to come in and he just turns around and he says to me, so you're a soldier or something like that, right? I was like, well, I was a Marine. Like I, I'm not one of those guys, you know, the soldier Marine thing that, that gets all, um, um, you know, upset about it. But he's like, yeah, it's like the same thing. And he's, did you ever kill anybody? I'm like, look kid, like we don't know each other like that. <laughs> like, what are you, what are you getting at? And then he goes on to, to say something like, well, have you ever thought about karma? Like, does that ever worry you? It's just, you know, and luckily the professor walked in right there. I wasn't upset about it, but it's just, man, I'm just trying to sit here and, and, and get a degree. Like, why do you feel like you, you can even ask me that question? You wouldn't ask somebody else something that personal. Um, but it, it's not just, you know, you can count that story off to just a dumb kid, but that happened to me when, when I was a police officer. I remember um, we were qualifying uh, with our patrol rifles, so our AR-15s one time, and we had some dead time uh, during the range, which we knew about the the, time, the day before. And a couple of the guys knew that I had some historic rifles, uh, infantry rifles from World War One and World War II. I, I think they're really neat. I like the, the idea of shooting these historic rifles to kind of feel what those guys back then felt and, and dealt with. Um, and guys were interested. So I brought my rifles out to the range during that dead time with my ammo, and I'm get them out of my trunk and I'm walking them up to the range during the lunch break so that guys, other guys can, can shoot them that they were interested in. And one of the sergeants makes this comment that's just, Hey, Charlie, what are you doing? This isn't Fallujah, you know, and it's still, I know he doesn't mean anything, but like, man, I just want to, I'm here now. Like I don't, don't, that's not a definition of me. And so as a whole, I think most of us are very proud of our service. I certainly am. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. But I don't want that to be the title of the book, of the story of my life. You know, a significant chapter, absolutely. But that time we spent while a defining moment shouldn't be how we are defined. And, you know, during World War II, around 12% of the population served. So even if you didn't, Chances are a family member, a friend, you know, the kid down the street, you had some familiarity with it, someone you knew personally that made it real. Since 9-11, less than one half of 1% has served. 
And that isn't, I'm not saying that's necessarily a negative thing. I think most of us that did serve are very glad that we have an all-volunteer military and that the vast majority do not have to do the things that we did or make the sacrifices that we, we did. That's part of why we rose our right hand. But the flip side is that there really isn't a way to put on a resume when applying for a job that I was trained as a JTAC and a JFO, deconflicting the battle space while controlling a $30 million jet and an entire battery of artillery at the age of 22. There's no way to translate that. So veterans are extremely resilient and if nothing else know how to work when they are motivated and feel valued. If you've created a solid organizational structure and, and it's a good place to work, chances are a veteran will probably be your best employee. So really in closing, I think Veterans come from all walks of life and are in most ways just like everyone else. The difference is that they have some very unique experiences and skills that can benefit you. Disregard preconceived notions that you may have from the media. I cringe every time I hear a pundit start a sentence with, as a veteran, I. Um, you know, we're all unique. All have different perspectives, different politics, different everything. We are individuals. So get to know us. <laughs>